0: Welcome back, everyone, to Love's Labour's Watch, your favourite pop culture women-focused podcast. Uh, We are having a special three-week episode run where we have an episode every week. Um, If you haven't been here before or don't know us, I'm Helena. And I'm Francesca. And we do interviews with uh, directors, writers, actors about a whole host of things women-focused, because that's what interests us. Um, and today that is is no different. So, uh, Francesca, can you kind of introduce what we're talking about today and who we're interviewing?
1: Yeah. So, as you say, we always love interviewing amazing female content creators, whether they be authors or writers or in this case, directors. We're interviewing the director, Koki Giedroik, who is behind the new coming-of-age comedy movie, How to Build a Girl, based on the book by Caitlin Moran, which was published in 2014 and starring the amazing Beanie Feldstein, who you might know from Lady Bird, which we talked about on the podcast and absolutely loved, Mm. or the brilliant comedy from last year, Booksmart. So she is really excelling in playing these kind of quirky, well-rounded, interesting, ambitious young women in Mm. these coming-of-age movies and How to Build a Girl, I think, is very much in that vein. As we said, it's based on Caitlin Moran's novel, which in itself is very much based on Caitlin Moran's real life. If you haven't heard of her, she's a journalist and writer who got her start in the world of music, music journalism, as a teenager, which is you know, a really interesting story in itself. And she kind of used all her Um, array of experiences from that period to put this novel together and Mm -hmm. then the yeah the movie kind of follows that same story. Helena do you want to describe the film a bit for our listeners
0: spoiler free? Yes spoiler free Uh, so essentially how to build a girl is just about that a girl's journey to building herself it's about this girl named Johanna Morrigan and she lives in what is known as a bad postcode in the Midlands, in Wolverhampton actually, and essentially it's about her just trying to find her find her way through the world and she dreams of being a writer and she wants to realise those dreams and like Caitlin Moran's journey, she gets a start in music journalism, meets some interesting people, some romantic musicians, clashes with her family, comes to comes to grips with the world of kind of like teenage drinking and things like that. And I think it's a very powerful story about just a young girl's, not a young girl, a 16-year-old's experience of the adult world and perhaps trying to grow up too fast and trying Mm. to navigate her ambitions and her dreams with actually who, not who she wants to be, but also who she might kind of dream to be, who she might aspire to be. And um, she's surrounded by her family and by some friends and her um, some mentors, and also some um, some uh, what to say, some historical figures, both in the real world and in fiction, who she deems to be her muses. And there is a very mm. lovely sort of muse wall in her room, which is brought to life by various famous actors and actresses. And we get into that in the um, in the interview uh, with Koki. And yeah, it's a very interesting film, and it's very much the heart of it is a, a girl's, young woman's story. And Koki Gidroik herself, she's an English director. Um, she's uh, not just known for being the sister of Mel Gidroik from The Bake Off, which is quite exciting anyway. But
1: That is a good claim to fame.
0: Yeah, yeah. it is. She's also known for mostly TV shows uh, like Penny Dreadful, um, a few movies. This is her biggest movie that she's done recently. But yeah, she's bon- been on the directing scene for quite a while now.
1: It was so exciting talking to Koki about the movie um, and connecting with her via Zoom about... Mm all things to do with how to build a girl, which, yeah, we really enjoyed. So I think we should dive straight into the interview.
0: Yeah, let's go.
2: so much for talking to us. Um, You're so welcome. So welcome. I'll do any amount of talking for this film. I'm so chuffed when people say they enjoyed it because it's, it's like a crazy labour of love interesting yeah
0: yeah yeah (laughs) I'm sure you've answered this lots of times before but uh, what made you become involved in the project and like what attracted you to the story
2: um well I I'm a massive fan of Catelyn Moran's I'd read I'd read the book um I read her column I'm a I'm a bit of a sort of you know serious fan slash stalker Mm. no (laughs) No, no. I love. I just love her. I love. Her. I love what she says, and I think she's completely relevant to you know young women, and tells her story and kind of gets out there in a way that is both provocative and hilarious and mm. brilliant. And so, when I was working with the producers on Harlots, and they said to me, "We've got the rights to the book. Are you interested?" I, of course, leapt at it and met her. And pitched to do the film, and she luckily said, "Go for it."
1: I guess that like, there's always a few challenges when you're trying to adapt like a beloved novel to the screen. Um, I wonder if you could talk a bit about that process and about kind of deciding what elements of the story you wanted to highlight or um, what you wanted to change and how you kind of went about that. Like, I know it was a very collaborative project as
2: well. We we worked together for a year and a half in a kitchen in the offices of Monumental to write this script um she the the script existed but it was very different and so my job um was to come in and in a way wrangle with her and tussle with her and find find things in in the script and in the story that were kind of suitable as a narrative for cinema rather than just a novel um or you know, as a polemic, she, you know, she is quite a polemical writer. And so I had to come in and I, I had to sort of weave the narrative and the story with her really carefully. But when you talk about adaptation, I did, I did um, a version of Oliver Twist and I did a version of Wuthering Heights and now How to Call a Girl hilariously in that group. Um, and the thing is that you, you, you take a story or a book and you sort of, in a way, you have to have a conversation with it and then you have to leave it and go away and do the film mm. and bring only the things that really, really work cinematically. So, for example, with Catelyn's story, it was really important to me that, that the story should be funny, that it should have lots of gags, that it should be political, but it also needed to be heart, heartwarming and heart, mm. heart-wrenching. And so... Those were the things that I worked on really hard when we developed the script together. It was bring the, bring the kind of poignancy of the story and the heartbreak in, and she would bring the hilarious in. That's yeah. how we did it. Obviously, uh, Johanna is the heart of the novel and of the film. Um, and how did you build her? She's an unusual heroine. You know, she is not stick thin. She is not um, classically a movie star in terms of her looks people would mm-hmm. say i guess i don't say that but people might say that so i was looking for someone sort of not your usual kind of you know actress that's just come out of drama school and fits all ticks all those boxes mm. she's unusual and she look you know she looks different and that's what we wanted we wanted to, we wanted johanna to be a real girl and recognisable to most people that go and see the movie not some sort of strange aspirational version and so we built her around Beanie Feldstein basically Beanie is you know just presented herself to us as this perfect actress she's funny she's gorgeous she's totally at one with the way she looks she embraces everything and she became the sort of new template for for Johanna Morrigan, which is part Beanie, part Catelyn, part me, and part Johanna. Do you see what I mean? That's that's how you always cast something.
1: We really loved how your direction kind of matches Johanna's state of mind. So when she's excited and feeling really positive, there's a lot of like kind of zippy, like fast moving camera work. And then when obviously she's feeling more sorrowful or reflective, the camera kind of slows down accordingly. We wonder if you could talk a bit about some of those choices and, and how you kind of wanted the direction to reflect
2: um, Johanna's feelings. Well spotted. <laughs> um, so my, my thoughts about, about the style and the kind of m- momentum and the energy of the film is that it should always be subjective, that mm. actually mm. the camera, in a way, is participating in her story. It's never stepping back. It's never polite. It's never, you know, choreographed. It doesn't step back and just see it at arm's length. It is invested. It's almost like metaphorically the camera's on her shoulder. Mm. So, she don't, you know, we don't enter the room before her. We don't discover something before she does. So when she's nervous and excited, it's going to be frisky, the camera. And it's going to be dancing around the place. And then when everything sags and falls, the bottom falls out of her life, and things slow down it just felt really right just to sort of slow the camera put it on the dolly keep it smooth
0: mm.
2: and you know you then have this brilliant kind of navigation of rhythms in a way where sometimes you're hurtling as you say and it's forward momentum and it's blasting into things and she makes loads of mistakes at that in those situations she yeah. really gets it wrong And then the reflective Mm. moments are just peaceful and wider shots and simpler shots give you, you know, gives you a breather as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, And those scenes as well, where often she may be making mistakes um, are often in the music venues um, to reflect, you know, the career that Johanna starts to build as as a reviewer. What was it kind of like filming those scenes and were you inspired by any bands or particular live music venues or music itself?
2: Well, I'm an old bird. So my music is the 80s. That was mm. me. And that's what I listened to. And those are the bands that I w- I followed and the gigs I went to. Um, so I had to kind of step into the 90s for this film. Um, I do that lots, you know, I we all do, don't we? We all mm. enter worlds and just absorb as much as we can. And I realised that what I loved about this film more than anything was that it was kind of grungy bands that it was real bands on stage kind of ripping up their guitars I mean it was that was what I loved I loved it in the Mm. 80s and I loved it in all the music that I researched for this film and I really really loved the Manic Street Preachers I think of all of them they were the ones that spoke to me in terms of just the raw energy and the kind of I can't swear, can I, on a podcast, but the the kind of wild attitude that they have um, seemed really exciting. And so in terms of Mm. filming that scene, when she goes to see the Mannix, you know, I wanted it to feel like the camera doesn't, there's no cut, actually. It's like a seamless shot where she sort of enters the gig and then she walks towards the band at the front. Mm. Because I wanted just to, like, live that feeling of, oh, my God, this exists this like this world this, mm. this can be me I can have some of this because mm. I remember it I remember it as a as an 18 year old 17 18 year old I remember exactly what that felt like yeah and
1: on a sort of similar note we really liked the scenes where it's actually like Johanna's fantasy like she imagines um her love interest um John Kite played by Alfie Allen like stepping out of a poster and like walking home with her and we wondered like why you decided to present her in a monologue in that way because I I found that really fun and also like very relatable like when you're a teenager that you have those kind of fantasies and daydreams and actually seeing it kind of physically come to life
2: was was really enjoyable yeah I mean it's visceral that stuff when you're a teenager isn't it it's completely Mm -hmm. it's totally real my daughter's 18 now but she's still got her god wall the same god wall that she's had for years and (laughs) you know there's Timothee Chalamet staring down and there's (laughs) kind of david bowie and there's kind of amazing um she's got oh who's she got up there lots of frida carlo um mm. but you know i know that i know that she has felt a total affinity with those with those people on her wall my daughter and i know that's what and that's what i had to harness with johanna and in fact yeah. i actually got my daughter to draw lots of the the kind of little cartoons on the wall and the little poems and oh. Because I just, you know, I just know how important it is and how, how utterly alive and vivid and close those icons are in your life and how mm. much you invest in them. And so for her to have John Kite step out of a poster, I, to me felt utterly normal in terms of this mm. narrative. You know, she's just one whisper away. She's one whisper away from, from that unreality being real.
0: Yeah, and to, yeah, quickly, we pop on to the, the the muse wall, um, which was a very unexpected part of the film for me, um, particularly in that it was alive with these characters that so inspired Johanna. Um, we just wanted to kind of ask, you know, what was it kind of like bringing that to life and including, you know, some really fun cameos from various celebrities from, Oh uh, gosh, I don't know. Jamila Jamil, obviously Mel and Sue from Bake Off make a little appearance. Um, Gemma Arterton, Sharon Hogan. Um, yeah, what was it like kind of putting that together?
2: Well, they were, I have to be honest, they were they're all our mates. Mel is my sister. Yeah. Or, or them, yeah. um Alf um sorry, Lily Allen is Alison Owen's daughter. So we literally just forced them to come in and do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, and they love they all kind of love catelyn moran and they wanted to do it for catelyn mm. so it was just a real massive laugh and it was fun and i don't know it was just a joyful thing and we wanted to keep it, it was super super simple but but really kind of i don't know i think they're quite an affecting little device in the film because they mm. they're like her greek chorus aren't they they're the yeah. ones that say yeah. oh, hang on a minute hold up you stop you know stop being nasty <laughs> um, i don't know it just was a lovely thing yeah. and it was in the script Um, it was it was always there and um catelyn, catelyn and i both share a, a, a sort of creative thing that we just we don't care what where we find the storytelling from it doesn't matter what it is it can mm. be a kind of a talking dog or a kind of you know a, a poster of bjork that comes alive in the in the Ladies, Lou. It doesn't matter where it comes from, as long as it's just feeding into the kind of yeah. fabulous, fantastical stuff that is Johanna.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And kind of talking again about Johanna and, and her character. I mean, a lot of things happen to her that are quite extraordinary. She's kind of thrust into the spotlight, and um, you know, has this kind of wild rise through the movie. But also, all her feelings and emotions feel very true to life. Uh, as we were talking earlier about, like how sixteen-year-olds feel. And so we wondered, um, you know, how you, you were, whether you were kind of thinking about teenagers the whole time and like your audience of teenage girls and how they might respond to the character and whether you've had any kind of feedback from, I mean, you talked about your daughter, but any other like young people who've watched the movie and have related
2: to her and, you know,
1: understood that journey.
2: Oh, that's Mm. so important. It's the most important thing. I'm so glad you asked that. It's, you know, that teenage girl is my audience. Um, I mean, I love it. I love it if other people enjoy the film because everyone has been a teenager and, you know, and, or is a teenager and doesn't matter if it's male, female at all. It doesn't, nothing matters as long as you can relate to that absolutely visceral thing, which, a te- which this particular teenage girl has, which is a sort of burning passion and brilliance and desire to be something more and the shit postcode that she comes from yeah you know to be something more than her un, unsuspecting no what's the word you know uh, inauspicious background you know be better than something mm. that mm-hmm. was rubbish and yeah. and that was that is the most important thing i showed the film and we have test screenings with movies and the very first few screenings i invited Um, my daughter who was then 16 and all her mates and and then all the other crew members who knew people who were 16 and they all came and they told us what they liked and what they didn't like Mm. and we adjusted things and we thought about things because of their comments we did questionnaires it was really interesting Mm -hmm. you know the things they related to the things they loved and the film got better because we listened to their feelings you know yeah
0: and i think also um it's a, a film about teenage life but i think it's also a uh, a woman's story um as well and that's sort of shown through um connor habini um through johanna's journey and how she experiences a kind of a world of men in the newspaper or magazine she writes for and also her relationship with her mother who often doesn't have as much time for her as she would like I mean, could you kind of speak on that a little bit as well the woman's story of this film?
2: yeah oh yeah i mean as I said, I I was um, I was forging my career, putting putting it all together in the eighties, mm. um, early nineties, um, and I had experiences, numerous, too numerous to count, experiences of casual sort of sexism and mm. difficulties in kind of getting my voice heard and nerves and insecurities about kind of entering a room and so on an utterly kind of personal level I completely related to this Mm. and um I would say that that I don't know any woman I talk to any of my friends anyone my age my mentors who are older than me we've all we've all gone through various versions of these stories you know Mm. um and it's just for me the messages particularly to a young woman watching it the messages. It can be crap. It can be difficult. There can be a whole load of challenges ahead of you, but you deserve to be in the room. You deserve to go back and be that person. Yep. You deserve mm. to, to, you know, have a byline in a newspaper. You deserve to get on stage and play guitar. And this is, I mentor myself and, you know, all the young filmmakers who I kind of have on my t- on my films who and I spend a lot of time with this is what Mm. I say to them repeatedly you know you don't have to ask permission go in and get it it's yours well thank you so much for speaking
1: to us it's been great
2: yeah thank you so much for talking to us
1: guys so much to Koki for chatting to us as we said it was so enjoyable and enlightening and interesting mm. um, and a real honour to get to speak to another talented female director about yeah. a project that she is passionate about and hopefully lots of viewers will also be passionate about. So it's out on the 24th of July in the UK on Amazon Prime. Um, this movie like a lot of recent films was probably supposed to go out in the cinema but obviously the pandemic and the impact on the um, on our lives kind of put that put that to bed but um it is available on amazon prime which is really exciting in the us it's available to watch on demand it's actually been available since may 8th so -hmm. in the us they got it a bit earlier um it's a really fun movie as we said beanie feldstein is very much the um shining starring force in the movie you know she really propels the story forward but she's supported by a lot of great actors um including Paddy Consendine, um, who plays her father, Alfie Allen, who we talked about a bit in the interview, I think, who plays yeah. her love interest. Um, and then there's cameos from like beloved actors such as Chris O'Dowd, and of course the wonderful Emma Thompson. Mm. Um, and as we mentioned, there's this like wall of muses that she looks up to um, in the movie, um, which features famous faces like Jamelia Jamil, um, Sharon Horgan, a whole bunch of like people who you might not even recognize the first time around like Gemma Arterton Melan she plays Sue Maria Von Trapp yeah <laughs> yeah of course um Lily Allen as well playing Elizabeth Taylor um so yeah it's it's just like a really fun forceful film um as we were talking about in the interview with Koki it has got this kind of energy this vivaciousness about it which we really enjoyed um and I think the other thing that both Helena and I commented on is Um, You know, we still know and love the movies that we watched as teenagers, Mm -hmm. such as Angus Songs and Perfect Snogging, which if you haven't heard about it, I mean, you're missing out.
0: Yeah, basically
1: a coming of age movie based on the books by Louise Renison about um, a young girl called Georgia Nicholson, who's kind of just growing up and navigating the world. She doesn't become a music journalist or anything, but it's just very grounded in that reality of the ups and downs of being a teenager and we felt like this movie was very much along those lines um I think it can absolutely be enjoyed by adults as well obviously we are now adults but I Mm -hmm. do think that if you have any young people in your life I think they would absolutely love this movie and I think it really has that groundedness in the teenage experience even as Johanna's life kind of takes on this extraordinary turn yeah would you
0: agree I definitely agree I mean there's drink There's drugs, there's sex in the film, and I know that Caitlin Moran talked about the book being like, look, it's very. I remember she, I think I read an interview where she said, how are they going to turn this incredibly sexual, slightly not incredibly sexual, but like there is sex and you know that kind of thing in the book, and it's kind of about like the 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 sexual journey of the character as much as it is everything else, and how do you include that in a teenage kind of rom com sort of film, rom com dramedy? Rom-dramedy? Yeah, Rom-dramedy. Um, Rom-dramedy. And I think that is the true teenage experience, you know. It's like how we talked about Gavandra in her book and she was very honest about her access to drink and drugs and sex in the book. And I think the way that the film depicts it is, you know, it's the reality for teens that they can have access to this stuff and Joanna kind of parties and gets drunk and makes bad decisions. And I think that is more honest and true than some of the more sort of like slightly more tame pg-13 films you might watch about teenage life i am thinking clueless or how 10 things i hate about you much as i adore those films
1: yeah i mean i should clarify then on that note that angus thongs and perfect snogging despite the slightly scandalous name is actually a very much a pg-13 rated film um and but I do think um the, the movie definitely evokes the spirit of um films like Clueless and Ten yeah. Things Are Hit by You mm-hmm. in that it's fun and fast paced yeah. and um as you say it kind of goes a bit more in depth into some of like I suppose like the darker the, the darker yeah. realities of yeah. being a teenager. There are moments where Johanna's in crisis and she's really incredibly low. And like I think that obviously that's something that adults can relate to too, but I think it does, It for me, it did also speak to like the highs and lows and how they can be very extreme when mm-hmm. you're a teenager.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And I don't think the film shies away from that. And because Beanie Feldstein is such a great actor and so good at displaying all her emotion on her face,
2: mm-hmm. you really
1: ride out those highs and lows with her. Yeah. Um, and when she's let down by characters or people don't turn out to be who she thought they were, you really feel that loss with her, I think. Yeah. And similarly, I mean, we both talked about how the ending um, without giving anything away, is very sweet and optimistic. Yeah. And I think that really lands because you've become so invested in her as yeah. a character and you mm-hmm. really want her
0: to succeed. Yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, And I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely a film, it's fast-paced. I sometimes would say that it actually skirts or skids over things that you would otherwise want to examine more closely, i.e., you know, yeah. there's a sort of misguided... Um, misguided suicide attempt at one point and it's kind of very quickly managed and that is actually quite a a big topic and equally the Joanna's kind of being drawn into the party scene with sort of like older people from like the media world who perhaps aren't good influences and there's a random you know of course they deal with like Joanna having sex but it's again very brief and funny there isn't really a discussion Mm -hmm. about safe sex or about you know the emotional impact of that for her and etc and i think obviously the film is a bit to be fun and frothy as you like to say um, and sort of deal with these issues in a light way it doesn't want to be a drama but i do think in some ways i sometimes felt a bit like oh she's very suddenly partying and being very grown up and then fighting with her parents very suddenly and she shifts from this sort of like idealistic girl to mm. this sort of big party lady and obviously it's part of her journey and um, in no way would I say that just because that wasn't my experience, I think it's unrealistic. It's more to say that, like, it does move quite fast and in some ways I'd like there to be a bit more of a weighty examining of the things Joanna Johanna does because I do some, I do think that some of it isn't actually as fun or harmless as the film depicts. Um, but yeah. that's an old woman gripe, I feel. I feel like a young no, person I- would not think about that.
1: I do completely agree, though. I think... Um, when I was watching it I sort of felt like there was a darker film that could have been made Mm. from these same set Mm -hmm. of experiences there is also uh, I mean you mentioned this earlier so you know it's a minor spoiler but there is also a moment where she self-harms that wasn't necessarily given the room to breathe in the movie that it could have been and it can be difficult to juggle those darker realities of human existence with a movie that wants to be kind of like a fun rom-com so you almost have to kind of ride with that and go with that which Mm. um for some people could be very jarring
0: yeah I do think so but equally again you know as an as a 20 something year old lady being like I think that's slightly irresponsible it's it's meant to be a fun film for teens and it's meant to be about their lives and I think yeah it's not for me it's it's for them um and I think that's something that I liked talking about in the interview as well is about how she got all her her daughter her daughter and her her 16 year old friends to come and watch it and to be like do you identify with this and I think Caitlin Moran was making a point when she wrote that book about like this is an experience that I feel that I and others had and I want to talk about it and I don't want to sort of you know water it down because it's meant for teens because teens have just as much of an inner life as you know, Taylor Swift, actually, in her new album, which I'll get to, which has just come out, um, mm. has a line that it's like, just because you're young, you're young, they think you don't know or feel things or can't be lonely. And it's like, actually, that's not true.
1: Yeah, no, completely. And I appreciate and I'm thankful for the fact it's not sugarcoated. And actually, one thing I was thinking as well while watching it is that, as you mentioned, it's set in the UK. Um, shout out to Beanie Feldstein for having to do a Wolverhampton accent. Yeah, go her. We thought she did a pretty good job on mm. So because it's set in the UK, I think there is maybe more drinking than there would be if it was set in the U.S. Again, not to say that U.S. teens don't drink, but the drinking age being what it is in the U.K., it does make for a slightly different dynamic. Mm. Um, And yeah, I thought that that was realistic. You know, the fact that as a character, um, sometimes Johanna isn't likable. She kind of steamrolls through the world and doesn't always think about like um, the people that she's impacting. For example, her brother, who I also really loved, I thought he was a great actor. Um, His name is Laurie Mm Kynaston. He's called Chrissy in the movie. Um, Her brother Chrissy is gay and coming to terms with that and, you know, dealing with his own inner life. And like Johanna just isn't very interested in that through most of the film because she's preoccupied with her own life. And so, the movie also kind of sidelines that slightly, but that's Mm -hmm. because we're seeing the world through Johanna's perspective. And like a lot of teenage characters, a lot of young characters, a lot of characters in general, you know, a lot of people, she is kind of a bit single-minded and it's only at the end of the film that she kind of realizes that how she's behaved has at times not necessarily been how she wants to behave. I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, that the movies about her, the, the title, How to Build a Girl, it's like, she, she has this idea of who she wants to become. And then when she becomes that person, she's like, do I actually want to be that person? And at the end, you're very much given the idea, given the perspective that she's still building that person. She's still yeah. building her character because in real life, in reality, it takes all of us a while to figure out who we are. For most of us, it probably takes most of our lives, you yeah, know, yeah, sure. um, and you're constantly changing and morphing. And I think that's really, I really liked that part of the film actually as well, just to maybe kind of conclude that you get this feeling that, this was a chapter of her life that has made her who she is but doesn't completely define her and she will go on to do whatever she wants to do and there you know be, she has that potential
0: and there may be sequels
1: <laughs> yeah there could be I mean again there are two more books you and I love a romantic plotline.
0: oh and... I was just gonna say we have to talk about Alfie Allen slash Jack <laughs> yeah J- Jack Kite John Kite, John Kite.
1: Yeah, Alfie Allen in this film plays this um this rock star who um Johanna has to go interview mm-hmm. and they really bond and then she writes this article about him and then
0: it's a loved of... up article a 16-year-old yeah. <laughs> would write to be honest
1: with you. Yeah, but that was very realistic. Um,
0: yeah.
1: and they had such great chemistry Beanie Feldstein and Alfie Allen and yeah. I also thought Alfie Allen was so charming. Mm. He often plays kind of uh, uh you know complicated characters and actually this is probably one of his his more kind of straightforward roles mm-hmm. would you say like yeah, he's yeah, yeah. basically is kind of like the romantic hero and I really enjoyed that and I yeah. just thought that was really cute
0: no I totally agree he's just nice and there's an interesting thing here that I think is really I really think it's cool that they put in is the fact that he is definitely between five to ten years older than she is and mm. she is 16 right and she falls kind of she becomes infatuated with him and I know in later books their relationship is explored more um and They deal with the fact that, like, again, I do think teenagers do have relationships with older people than uh, would be be considered appropriate. And obviously the 16-year-old law of consent applies for a reason. Um, And it's interesting the fact that they, like, they show this infatuation and they showed you how well they would work together as a couple, right? Mm. But then equally John Kite is very respectful and kind. And he is a bit older and he plays that and he doesn't try and be predatory whereas other people in the film do and I think it shows you that like and the way he expresses his care about Joanna is very much like I like who you are and I want to see who you become you know Mm. and I think that's a really great way to show this relationship which like they have a bond and that could be explored as she gets older and it becomes appropriate and things like that but yeah I really liked how they they didn't try and make it like uh, yeah they yeah they showed it and they made it kind of appropriate and they made it they handled it really well I think I really liked it yeah it It didn't get creepy at all and I expected it to get creepy yeah
1: I completely agree I think it was handled um very deftly and it it was left as like yeah these two people have a bond they're going to be friends and you know that maybe in the future when it's appropriate perhaps it will be something more but you felt that he was respectful and that they could have Mm. a friendship that was just built on respect and um, a mutual appreciation of one another's company without it having any uncomfortable or inappropriate undertones. Yeah. Um, agreed. While still being very sweet.
0: So that's our take on it. Alfie Allen is well worth seeing this film for. I mean, the music we did go into too much. We didn't even but, talk about the music, yeah. But, I mean, Alfie Allen sings and he's this like heartfelt, solely Amy Winehouse style singer, mm. apart from being Alfie Allen. Um, and Joanna visits concerts and it's, you know, filled with like you know classic 90s british punk pop rock and roll um yeah it's definitely worth seeing for the music as well as the acting and the story um yeah i think for a british coming of age film that's released in 2020 um yeah i think it's yeah a pretty good example and a great one to see if you want to turn on your streaming services in the us or uk from today
1: absolutely as a minor quick side note before we move on Mm. I've never quite got over the fact that my first introduction of Alfie, my first introduction to Alfie Allen was via Lily Allen when she wrote a song about him. Yeah,
0: yeah. That song
1: about how he like kind of won't get out of bed and, and, you know, is like a bit useless, like is what I remember anyway, the lyrics being. And then, of course, he's now this like super successful actor who's popped up in films like um, Jojo Rabbit and and obviously was in Game of Thrones and everything. But in my mind, I still sort of always think about that song. <laughs> I just feel like that's just like a funny dynamic, you know. I mean, obviously, they're both super successful siblings at this point, but um, I always kind of think about that that, that song.
0: Yeah, I remember that song. It had like little puppets in the music video. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alfie Allen's so amazing in this film. Ugh. Oh, wow. Yeah, quite
1: swim-worthy. I think we've Very established that. Very worthy yeah. Yeah. I think also just Beanie Feldstein is one to watch for the future. Oh, I mean absolutely she's just making really interesting choices and I think she's a really self-aware and conscientious performer and role model for young people which I really admire.
0: Agreed. All right. All right. So shall we move on? Uh, The big news of the week I suppose that splashed onto Mm. my timeline and text messages today was that taylor's released a new album folklore i like how you just call her taylor like you know close personal pals at this yeah, point you know yeah yeah no it's surname a, needed it's a 10 year friendship as everyone knows who taylor is Tay, i could say as well yeah so yeah it's really interesting actually i've been saying actually for a while now ever since reputation came out which was 2018 i believe yeah I think so Yes um, Reputation obviously Was divergent In terms of what she was doing Because she was exploring her pop She was exploring her message She wanted to write an album And she said this later She wanted to write an album That sort of like Fulfilled or answered People's expectations of her Like the bad girl The one who like Caused issues She was a whore Or a slut Or a man eater You know People are always prying Into her past relationships And she wrote a very Reputation I think Was a very ven- Not vengeful but a very um, powerful sort of, like, answering album that diverged from Taylor's style in mm. 1989, which, again, she's been growing into more pop and away from country since, you know, Red, for example, which is, like, 2012. But, you know, 1989, which was released in 2015, I think was very much, like, her peak, like, cute pop. Um, you know, kind of moving into, like, you know, mainstream pop and the reputation was more, like, moving into, like electronica maybe a bit of like r&b and also just in terms of like the vibe it was very like yeah it was very like i'm gonna actually i'm not going to talk about love and stories i'm gonna actually answer my critics which i think is unusual for her um and then obviously sorry lover was released 2019 which people said actually was more of a not a return to the old taylor but a taylor who was actually just like happy and was writing songs for fun but they still weren't as like storytelling-y as they had been in the past right like 1989 was about like stories and creating characters and I think her last albums have been too and then Folklore popped up and I've been saying that an album like Folklore was coming I was like she's going to go back to her country roots she's gonna have kind of gotten all that stuff out that she wanted to get out and now kind of think about circling back to what she truly began with which is her storytelling and her lyricism and the guitar and the piano and at the end of this tirade, basically I predicted folklore, I knew it would come, and it took covid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it took covid.
1: Did you predict that she might drop it during lockdown? I mean, I don't remember you ever
0: saying this to me, but maybe <laughs> you were thinking it in your own head. Um, I didn't actually know she was writing an album in lockdown. Now she's written it and it's come out. I'm not surprised. I feel like Taylor very much can write an album in a month if she wanted to. Like she Yeah. You know, she is very, I think she is a great lyricist, and a great storyteller and i think folklore is a return to this sort of like storytelling vibe where she doesn't need all the production stuff it's just her and her music and the and the stories she wants to tell and I think it's coming back around. And I actually think it actually is a very good album in terms of the stories. And it kind of rivals Red in terms of the storytelling it's got. Like there's some really interesting songs on there. Like one about like a, a widow. And there's another one about like lost love and things like that. And and she said like they're not all about her. They're just kind of more about stories and people she thought mm. up. And yeah, I love it. And she has her intensely personal a to it as well it makes you feel as if she's just telling you a personal story of her own yeah and the lyrics are some of the lyrics are so good oh I really like folklore just saying
1: I really like it too and I think that's quite interesting because I feel like you and I don't always share music taste we also no. don't always talk about music on this podcast very much um Mm-mm. but I think uh, obviously Taylor Swift is she can be a divisive figure but I think she can also be a very unifying figure um and I think everybody can appreciate her Lyrical abilities. I mean, so I was listening to the album today. Um, we are literally recording this on the day that the album was released as well, so it's very fresh <laughs> yeah, and new. And, it is fresh, and I feel like I haven't fully taken it all in yet. But um after I listened to the album, Spotify did that thing where it just like pulls up another Taylor Swift song, um, and it pulled up All Too Well.
0: Oh yeah, see, see, oh,
1: and it has that that lyric. And you call me up again just to break me like a promise, so casually cruel in the name of being honest. Mm. Such a clever lyric, and I feel like that for me like embodies her writing ability. And as you say, I think this album definitely brings that back to the fore. Mm -hmm. It's it's very much got like an indie kind of vibe. Um, Bonnie Iver was involved in one of the songs and some of the production, I believe. And I think that is very much is evident. It feels more indie to me than country. Ah. I also really liked Lover as an album. But my favourite songs on Lover were the ones that were a bit more stripped back. um, Yeah, more stripped back, like the titular Lover. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I like that lyric where she talks about um, having how they could have friends to stay because it's their house and they can make the
0: rules. And, you
1: know, it feels like evocative and you start to picture the people she's talking about in your head while you're listening to it, Mm -hmm. which as you say, in this album feels less about her and less about like, oh, which boyfriend is she writing about? And more about, oh, what an interesting story yeah. she's telling
0: through her lyrics. Yeah, and I think definitely, I mean, I know Reputa- I feel like Reputation was Taylor being like, all right, F you, everybody. Here is what you want me to be. Like, I love Look What You Made Me Do. I mean, I know it divides people, but for me, it's like, she's like, I, you know, she's, she's becoming the person they expect her to be because arguably she was tormented by the media. Um, and called a snake, and all this false stories being spread about her. And you know, I imagine that was very difficult. And then Lover was like, Oh, why well, been with why? I don't want to keep talking about her relationships, but she's been with her boyfriend, the British actor who I can't remember anymore suddenly. And she's been living uh, in. Joe Olwyn. Yeah, yes. And she's been, not that it is relevant, but Not yes. No relevant, but she's been living in London and she talks about her experiences. And I'm like, Great. But this still feels like an album that is about how you want people to see you, right? And I think folklore is like. Read all the older albums where it was actually just about the stories she wanted to tell, and she was le- mm. like 1989 reputation and lover. I feel like I've been much more about her her public persona and this and the kind of music she wanted to make, which is fine. But I think for me, folklore goes back to her older albums where she was just making music for the love of it, and it didn't matter if anybody liked what she was doing or not or thought it was cool. She's now just being like, I want to write music about these stories and these people. and I feel like it's the Taylor that like I don't know I feel like it's classic Taylor and there's this middle bit where she becomes public Taylor and Taylor Swift and then now she's retreated back and obviously this is made in isolation but it's also made on the back of the fact that like after Reputation came out she didn't go outside for a year and she has really kind of paired back her public outings and personas and things like that and she's now delivering this more like I eye- talk about the issues I want to talk about like she talks about gay rights and she talks about voting and she has called out politicians and she's getting involved in a way that she wouldn't have before and I think she can do it now because she has a seems to have a balance I mean I'm getting very deeply into Taylor Swift law here but (laughs) I feel like she has a balance now between that public persona that she courted because it's fame and then now the settled life where she sat in her house doing isolation and just wrote music for the love of it. And I feel like that really comes through in folklore in a way it did in Red and before, because she wasn't an absolute international sensation until Red, I don't think.
1: Earlier in the year, I watched her Netflix documentary, mm. Miss Americana, um, which is super interesting in kind of the way it unpacks that um, that strange relationship she has with what people think of her, um, her clearly being somebody who naturally does worry about what people thinks think of her and the fact that she wants to kind of be private one of the things that highlighted for me was just how young she is which is not an excuse for not speaking out on issues that she cared about yeah um in the past but i think it did highlight for me like just how bizarre it would be to be so famous and Mm. so in the spotlight Mm -hmm. and for your personal life to be so um to be so watched yeah, at such a young age. Like, she's currently 30, <laughs> like, you know? know. So w- these moments where she's been, like, in the spotlight in a quite an unpleasant way, you know, she's, like, 22, 23, which is just crazy to me. Um Yeah, yeah the film is a really interesting watch, and I think one of the things I, I thought when I was watching it as well was that she she seemed to live quite an isolated existence. Obviously, a documentary is never going to be a full representation of somebody's life, and the documentary clearly makes a very conscious choice not to have her partner be a presence in it. Mm. You know, she, he clearly didn't want to be in it or she didn't want him to be in it. So, and he is obviously a massive part of her life, but you don't often see her with like big groups of people, like the so-called, uh, what were they called? Like the gang of yeah, girls, yeah, um, I you them. know, they're not, they're not really involved. You just see like her old high school friend, Abigail, who we all know. 15 and um, 15 and speak now, yeah. Yeah, but you don't see anyone else. I got the impression too that she was kind of reaching reaching a moment of Mm self-acceptance and this had obviously been exacerbated by a number of factors and as part of that acceptance, as you say, I think she was feeling able to just release music without the worries and concerns about what people might think of it. Mm -hmm. As it is, this album Folklore has been very widely acclaimed already and I think people are really like holding it up as being um, a really exciting project. I think also people are quite excited about somebody like releasing a piece of art straight out of lockdown. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we're still relatively we're still relatively fresh into this whole quarantine life and to kind of see somebody be creative and have like something fruitful come out of that is kind of just like something optimistic and exciting anyway. Yeah. Um okay. but yeah, the the album has been very well reviewed across the board and i look forward to definitely like getting a bit more into it over the weekend as i said i just kind of had it on in the background today um but it'd be great to kind of get a bit more into it
0: yeah absolutely and we can start ranking our favorite songs yeah <laughs> i am excited to see what my dad thinks about it For those of you don't yes, know because your
1: dad is a massive taylor fan yeah, isn't he, he
0: wrote all too well is one of his favorite songs he loves the album red he didn't like 1989 so much reputation and mm. lover have kind of passed him by but i do think that maybe he would like folklore I don't know. My dad is interesting in his taste. It's Taylor Swift, uh, Goldie... Um, no, Blondie. Mm. Sorry, Blondie. Um, and then uh, Cindy Lauper. He loves Time After Time. I to see what he thinks of it, because I personally do really like it. I, I So far, I really like... Um, oh, what's it called? Give me a second. Uh, you see Betty Who actually responded to Taylor being like... "This one called Betty about... Uh, it's a story about like her betraying betty i can't work out whether she is betty's friend or betty's partner i'm not sure but she talks about being like sorry about it right and then betty who replied on twitter being like it's all right taylor i forgive you (laughs) (laughs) um it is called the last great american dynasty that one about the the woman who marries uh, a rich man and then he dies and then she is sort of like uh, put upon by the community as it being her fault, and then she disappears, and it's kind of reminds me of Lucky, uh, by um Britney Spears. But anyway, yeah, I I like that one a lot. Oh yeah, that yeah is our well, response so Well, we far. will maybe we will reconnect on Taylor in a couple weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think we're nearly done for time, but why don't we do a classic? What are you reading? Kind of scenario. Um, I'm actually off um, on a little holiday tomorrow well i will be on a little holiday when you this episode comes out so i will i've gathered together my holiday reading list so Mm. i am currently reading city of brass by sa chakraborty who is an american author i believe and basically it's a fantasy novel set in 18th century cairo Um, and the whole lore and fantasy magic of the book is actually jinn arabic persian folk tales and it's really interesting and I already love it, and of course she's already met a a mysterious man who is very beautiful, and I expect them to fall in love at some point in the trilogy, but then I'm also planning to pick up Yevgeny Zamyatin's We, which is actually what inspired 1984. It's written in the 20s by a Russian author about, it's like high technological dystopia about just kind of discussing the future and what it might look like, and actually the story goes, according to my lovely friend who talked to me about this, said that orwell read russian fluently read read we and then basically wrote 1984 after that and it was only afterwards people asked him why does your book so much resemble your give Yatins we and he just said he was heavily inspired so there you go bit of an english literature or literature um you know bit of a literature drama for you there but yeah that's also what i'm I, what i'm picking up as well i
1: didn't know about that book um and it'd be really interesting for you to compare it to 1984 as well which i think we always think of as such a unique concept which has obviously spawned a lot of similar dystopian fiction um over the years but we always think of that as a starting point so yeah i'm fascinated to hear what you think of that i recently read i am not your baby mother by candice braithwaite candace is an instagram influencer and founder of the make motherhood diverse initiative which works to encourage more diverse representations of motherhood in the media Candice shared snapshots of her family life on Instagram to her realms of followers, showcasing her experiences of being a black British mother, a role that's not always spotlighted in the mainstream media. Candice's debut book really brings this to the fore. Um, It discusses her experiences of being pregnant, giving birth and raising her children in the Britain that we live in today. So, she candidly discusses topics such as dealing with racism at her daughter's school. Throughout the book, Candice discusses these sorts of topics candidly, intimately, and directly. I listened to the audiobook, which I really recommend, as I think it only underlines the book's strengths and really showcases what a great writer Candice is. So, I really recommend it to all our listeners. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's all for this week. Um, we really wanted to take the opportunity to once again thank Kokigi Droik for taking the time to speak to us about how to build a girl. If You've checked out the movie, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So, yeah, please do get in touch with us and let
0: us know. Um, our Twitter is at realllw. We announce when our episodes are going live and sometimes give sneak peeks of our guests. Um, and we tweet about things that we like um we also have an instagram we do the same thing which is loves labors watch and we also have a gmail uh watch at gmail.com all lowercase um where you can send us business inquiries if you have a book you'd like us to talk about or a movie or whatever and we'll be back with you next week with another interview from another author look forward to that um very exciting and until then stay safe everyone and we'll see you next week
1: all right see you then bye